Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Diva Behavior. I'm your host, Molly Molshine, as always. And this week, my guest is Brittany Brave. Brittany is a stand-up comic, and she's really in a league of her own when it comes to making jokes about really uncomfortable topics. We first met when I was doing a story for Elle magazine about a show she was in, which consisted solely of sexual assault survivors telling their own rape jokes. So that can be jarring to a lot of people because some people think for some reason that you shouldn't joke about uncomfortable topics. I think it's great to joke about uncomfortable topics. It makes them so much easier to talk about and comprehend and learn more about. And it's just a really great way to get people to care about things that otherwise we would maybe be like, oh, I don't want to think about that. So Brittany and I met working on that story. Today she has a podcast called Violently Funny with another comic named Onika McLean, and that podcast is all about domestic violence and emotional abuse. So that's what we're talking about today, because it shouldn't surprise you, but it might surprise you to learn that a lot of famous divas and a lot of famous women have dealt with emotional abuse and domestic violence. Marilyn Monroe, Madonna, Whitney Houston, Tina Turner, Rihanna... There are so many women, Pamela Anderson, Reese Witherspoon, so many famous women have dealt with this, and just so many women in general deal with this. I think it's a really important thing for people to understand because a lot of people think that if you're quote-unquote strong, it can't happen to you, which is a hilarious thing to tell yourself, and it's not true. So just, you know, listen to the podcast, learn a little bit about emotional abuse and domestic violence and the signs and how to tell if you're involved in an abusive relationship, how to break free from it. It's not, it needs to not be a scary topic to talk about. It needs to be something that everyone can freely talk about without like pitying each other and judging each other and letting someone's experience with emotional abuse change your perception of them. It shouldn't change your perception of them because it can literally happen to anybody. So listen to the podcast, check out Violently Funny as well. Brittany and Onika are hosting a Violently Funny live taping on January 31st at Caveat in New York City. If you are in the New York area, you should absolutely go check that out. I would if I was there, but I am in London. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly Molshine and rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts because it will help. Some people think Diva's a bitch. I never said that. Diva Behavior, the podcast. Okay, so Brittany, tell me a little bit about your podcast, Violently Funny. Oh, I would love to. Um, Violently Funny, yeah, we just just wrapped season one. Um, it is a 
comedic podcast about domestic violence, you know, a light, light and easy topic. <laughs> um, no, but domestic violence is our, is our core tenant. I co-host the podcast with Onika McLean. We are both comedians and we're both survivors. Um, so the show aims to kind of talk to experts about an otherwise pretty taboo issue and heavy topic. Um, and also branching off into dating and sex and feminism and life and all those subgenres, sex work and body positivity and, you know, all those related topics, because um, DV itself is a pretty, pretty multi-pronged issue. Um, but I think the angle that we're taking, I think what makes us unique is that it is a comedic podcast in nature. Um, a lot of people, when they first hear about the show, they're like, huh, you know, when we say right. like, no, no, it's, it's funny, it's funny. They're like, how is it funny? But um, Onika and I both as comedians and survivors have always wrapped wrapped everything in comedy, everything in our lives, everything that we've gone through. So we're just kind of hoping that if we can have like engaging, funny, conversational, informative conversation um, around this topic, we can just kind of, I don't know, um, bring bring the walls down on a on an otherwise taboo, difficult thing. Right. Um, yeah. Have you guys had a lot of pushback from people or are people offended at all? Because I remember when you and I, the way we first met was I was interviewing you for a story mm -hmm. for Elle magazine about a show that you were involved in where it was female comedians who had survived rape, telling mm -hmm. rape jokes. And something that we talked a lot about is how, you know, when male comics tell rape jokes, people seem less offended than when women do. So have you encountered that? I have. I am. Um... I, I will say we're pretty fortunate in that a lot of the apprehension that Onika and I receive is up top. Like, I do think that our biggest hurdle is going to be marketing the podcast, for lack of a better term, just because I, I a lot of people have come forward and said that once they took a deep dive into the episodes and really listened. They were like, Oh, okay. I get it. But usually their initial impression is I don't know how this is going to go. Like, right. what do you mean? It's a comedic podcast. And yeah, you know, you can tell some people have that tone of, yeah, how are, how are you going to joke about this? Um, so it's nice to know that it's been a pleasant surprise for some people, but I definitely think the hurdle for us is on, the early side of promoting violently funny is getting people to wrap their head around the fact that you can talk about this topic. It's okay. And it can be done in a way that doesn't totally bum you out. You know, it can be done in right. a way that, that you laugh and learn at the same time. I mean, it's such a good podcast. And whenever I listen Thank to you. it, I like laugh. I cry seriously. Like I was walking around London listening to it, like weeping one time. Oh. <laughs> And then oh, no. I don't remember which episode it was, but it's so it's just so good. You guys do such a good job with it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's our little it's it's our little baby. Um, we we actually met. We're coming up on a year and we met at a domestic violence benefit show, Onika and I. So we had never really crossed paths in comedy before. And we both were booked on this because we're both survivors and talk mm. about it in our act to some extent. Um, and it was just like it was just like true sisterhood and it was, we just immediately bonded. We had a really great time at that show. We spent the whole day talking over many, many, many margaritas. Um, and <laughs> you know, we just kind of were like, this is a podcast. We, we have to, we have to talk about this. It's like, we have to, we have to bring this forward. Um, and then many months later we got our shit together and now it's here and we're, we're really proud. Like I'm very, very probably more proud of the show than I am of, 
mostly anything else I've accomplished in comedy, I think. So Yeah, it's awesome. It's really it's really great. Do you Thank find you. who do you find I don't know if you have an answer to this question, but mm-hmm. who do you find is more apprehensive about the show? Actual survivors or people with no uh, experience with domestic violence? I think um, people with no experience, I think. I think it's um, the exact same thing that I encounter when I talk about it on stage in my sets. I think it's the exact same thing that I encounter when I try to have an opening candid conversation in person with someone. It's the same people who refuse to wrap their head around the issue in day-to-day life are the same people that look at this podcast with a big question mark. Um, right. We have also had some survivors and current victims reach out to us um, and without really obviously revealing too many details, there's a level of apprehension there too, you know, because I think Mm -hmm. depending on where they're at in their journey, if they're pretty close to leaving their abusive situation or they're, they're really starting to regain their sense of agency, then it's easier for them to jump into this podcast. But if they're still in the thick of it and maybe just starting to poke around for a way out, they're a little apprehensive too, because you know, they're afraid that they're going to jump in and, and hear the truth, which isn't always easy to hear. Um, and it's it's brought some emotional reactions out of them being able to hear Onika and I share something. And they've said, yeah, I literally went through the exact same thing two nights ago with my ex-boyfriend or with my, my partner. Um, so there is a little apprehension there. And I think it ultimately comes from that usual denial that victims have. That's very, very normal before you've admitted to yourself you're in that situation you're not even willing to hear about it. Um, but yeah, a lot of it's just, and again, it's, it's one of those things like sexual assault that if, if you're fortunate enough, obviously to not have to go through it firsthand, it can, it can be a lot for you to make sense of from a distance. Right. Yeah. I think the one really, one of the fav, one of my favorite things that came up in our last conversation when we were talking for Elle magazine was, yeah, you know, a lot of people say comedy is tragedy plus time. Mm -hmm. And you had said, no, for me, as soon as I realized I was in a like domestic abuse situation, I needed to joke about it immediately. Like you Mm -hmm. didn't need really that time to process it, or maybe you did for some aspects of it and not others, but I guess for some people they do need the time. So once they're in the thick of it, they get a little bit like touchy about it. I don't know about joking about it. Yeah, totally. I think, yeah, I think everyone's got a different, a different threshold. And I think it's completely plausible and possible that some people will never be able to really talk about it in, in a lighthearted way. I mean, I had people come forward with the, with the show for rape survivors. I had random comments on my photos and stuff that people were like, kudos to you. You know, I, I can't ever see me making a joke about my situation. And it's like, that's, that's okay. You know, people cope differently. Um, I will say in the comedy is tragedy plus time formula. Um, I don't know if I could have made a podcast. I think Mm. I ended up releasing the podcast two years to the month, almost two years to the day from leaving my relationship, pressing charges, yada, yada, everything that went down. Um, so I was able to joke about it immediately and kind of find this like dark humor in it, but I couldn't imagine producing an entire show and taking like the emotional burden of my guests on in 2017. So in that sense, I needed time to produce violently funny in wake of that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, yeah. Different processing speeds for different 
different aspects and projects and everything. Mm -hmm. One thing I find really interesting about domestic violence and emotional abuse and physical abuse of all kinds is that it does follow such a similar pattern across Mm -hmm. all relationships, all income levels, all sexual orientations. Like it, it just follows such a similar pattern. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, the way people do process it is completely different from person to person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's a really heartbreaking way to level the playing field. I don't know if that's even the right term to say, but it's, it really doesn't abuse knows no biases. It knows no like prejudice really. Like it affects everybody affects men. Like men are a huge victim of emotional abuse too. And, Mm -hmm. um, all across the board. And we, you know, we've had these stories and now that like Onika and I are recording this weekly of people sharing that, you know, it was the female CEO of their company and how, what abuse looked like to her was her saying that she broke her leg on a ski trip in Vermont. And like, that's abuse in her world. And then you also have like a young girl, maybe in like a low income household and like abuse to her is a black eye straight to the face, you know, or something. And it's like, it, it manifests itself differently, but Yeah, the collection of these stories has been, it's so comforting and unsettling at the same time to see that, like, there's so many similarities, but it really, abuse is really at its core, very, very textbook. Like, the players may change, the details may change, but you're like, yeah, I got that same text message from my ex-boyfriend, or my ex did the same thing, I I was gaslit the same way, so on and so forth, so, um, yeah, it's, the similarities, it's a double-edged sword. It's like very, it's very comforting to see the consistencies, but it's also stomach turning at the same time. Yeah. And I think when you have never been involved in that type of situation, you have absolutely no idea because you hear about gaslighting, manipulation, all these Mm -hmm. different things. But you, at least me, before I was ever involved in any sort of emotionally abusive situation, I said to myself, wow, I'm way too strong of a person to ever let that happen to me. So did I. (laughs) I could, oh my God, couldn't you just go back in time and kick yourself in In the the face? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then when you're in it, it, it takes months to years to actually realize that you're in it. And it is so textbook. Like I remember Googling it because that's what I do with everything. What I do with everything is go into like a Reddit K hole, which yeah. is definitely like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's the Certain. blind leading. Yeah. The blind leading the blind. I'm like, maybe someone on Reddit knows what I should do. <laughs> I did. So, I am. Um... I had a every little every love in dating blog on the face of the planet. I had friends sending me articles too, like whether it was like Elle or Bus Magazine, or it was all the way down to like someone's blog about toxic love, like from Wichita, yeah. Kansas. Like I was finding all these articles and message boards, same, and I was like, oh, "There's solidarity! Oh my god!" <laughs> like yeah, it's like yeah. Debbie, Debbie from Wichita, like a blog that she wrote in 2008, and you're like, "This is my new Bible." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like Debbie. Well, Debbie, can we talk on the phone, please? Can you come <laughs> on the podcast? Like yeah. yeah, yeah. And then once you do get to know it on an intimate level, I feel like you see it everywhere. Like you can spot it more easily. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You can't unsee it. That's very, uh, you're very, very, very on the money with that. It's, um, yeah, it takes, and I think that's what I would say, like, not to put a number on it, but I, I feel like a lot of victims end up staying in the situation 
for probably arguably six months longer than they should, because to me, that seems like the average amount of time it takes for you to recognize and register that like, this is you in your life, yeah. right? Cause it's like, again, if you haven't been touched by it and it's not something you grew up around and it's not something you see day to day. And obviously a lot of it happens in private, you know, and the only things you have to reference it with are these over sensationalized TV shows and movies. And it, if it's not like bleeding from your face, you're like, Oh, well that that's domestic abuse, not this. Mm. And it's like, no honey, like your boyfriend, like pulling you by your hair is domestic abuse. Like that too is, is abuse. Um, so it, it really is. I would say that like, at least for me, six months of that relationship was like, yeah. Like who wants to think of themselves in terms of a victim? Like that doesn't, that sounds dramatic. It sounds wrong. And it's like, it doesn't compute. And then it's not until you're like completely worn down that you're like, okay, I think everyone has a point, you know, yeah. and it really does take physically seeing like the side effects of the abuse and emotionally for you to be like, oh, okay, everyone's on to something. I, uh, okay. I'm yeah. going through something. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It bothers me now, too, whenever I see it done in movies and TV shows when the person clearly has no experience with it, when it'll be like a man, like a husband becomes abusive because of like a thing that happened in his life. And then he randomly starts to just like beat his wife. And it's like, no, that is not the way it goes at Mm-mm. all. I mean, Mm-mm. I've never been like physically abused. I'm not like I have never been through that, but I know how with emotional abuse, it starts small and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So whenever I see it used as a plot point in TV or film and it's not starting as a cycle, it pisses me off so much. Yeah, it does. Cause it's misinformation. That's what yeah. it is. Um, and it's like, it's something that I've, I've been like on and off kind of, kind of writing a movie about it. And, mm-hmm. and because I, I just think that it is an underrepresented topic in Hollywood and in mainstream media. And it's, you know, you're a hundred percent right that you can tell immediately that it's this TV show was not written by someone who, who went, went through it. And obviously they're doing their best to cover something they haven't personally experienced. But, you know, to your point about the emotional abuse, that's the most like pervasive, like that's, and it's a slow, slow drip. Like it's so, you know, it's, in the moment you think the physical abuse is the issue and it is for safety and survival reasons, but it's not until the end of the relationship when you're trying to leave and you've got like zero self-worth, probably $0 in your bank account. You fucking hate yourself. You have nothing to turn to your friends and family are gone. And then that's when you're like, Oh, the real burden I'm going to have to carry. And the real thing I have to fix is my mind and my heart and my spirit. Like, yeah, that's like really what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it that did make you finally realize what was going on? Like, what was the catalyst for you to finally leave? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I I feel like you've probably talked about this so many times. No, no, no. It's I, it is, it's, I am always open to sharing. I'm like a complete open book and especially on something like this, because I always have the faith that someone's going to listen to it. And if they see those parallels in their life, it might help them leave. So I never get tired of like, and it's therapeutic for me too, to like kind of, I kind of feel like I learned something new about my own story every time I talk about it. Anyways, um, it was a series. It was a series of things. Um, I think I got completely worn down. Uh, I think my personal abuser wore me down to the point where it was past the fact that I couldn't leave. Cause I want to say that was the, in the last year of the relationship, the first six months were, 
okay, he has worn me down so much that I physically feel like I can't leave. Like mm-hmm. I would wake up every day and feel like pretty useless. I feel like I can't live without this person, which is wild because they're kind of the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I'm in danger and I feel like shit. But I was like, I don't know why I can't, I literally can't pick myself up and pull myself away. And then another six months, the last, last six months of that relationship, I couldn't even, I couldn't even justify staying with it. Like, you know what I mean? Like he like took the emotional abuse so far. At first it was, I couldn't leave. And then afterwards, it finally got to a point where I was like, I can't justify it anymore. So in in some way, shape or form, I was like, I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't take care of him. It was pushed so far that I was like, I have no choice but to like rewrite my entire story. And I mean, there were, Mm -hmm. there were a couple things. Like I remember I like visited him one weekend and I was trying to repair the relationship and I was, I texted my cousin and my cousin's fiance. And I said, I'm, I'm going to Utah. I can't tell my mom. She's going to flip out. I can't tell anybody else because they're already not talking to me. Um, but I feel like I should tell somebody in case I like get killed this weekend. Like, and I was kind of joking, but not, you know, I was like, I feel like someone should know. And that weekend he, my, it was really funny because nothing was happening at that time, but the way I was texting my cousin and his fiance, they thought it sounded like as if something was wrong. Like it sounded like he had taken my phone, which he had done before. And this just goes to show you too, how the people in your life become hyper vigilant for your safety and survival. Like this mm-hmm. was a huge reality check. And they were like, is this you on the phone? And I'm like, yes, it's me. And they're like, I don't know. It really doesn't sound like you. It really sounds like it's, you know, it's, it's BJ who has your phone. Like it's, it doesn't sound like it's Brittany. And it got to the point where they wouldn't like my cousin freaked out, called my aunt was like, I think I need to buy a ticket to go to Salt Lake city because I'm she's there. Uh, her, and Karen, my mom doesn't know. Nobody knows. She's talking really weird. We're really worried. We're starting to think that like something's going down. Why wouldn't it be? It always does. Yeah. And it got to the point where like they wouldn't they wouldn't feel better until I FaceTime them from my ex's apartment and had to wow. physically show them that I was like, no, I'm OK. But again, huge reality check, you know, that they were like, no, we were pretty sure something was probably going down and we were so hypervigilant that when you were texting us, it didn't sound like you and we panicked. And, you know, a series of a series of those moments kind of kind of added up. And, yeah, I just got I got so worn down to where I didn't even want to. I didn't want to work with him anymore. That was, the, the, I didn't want to work on it anymore. And that was really mm. the ultimate, like, you know, you really pushed an abuse victim when they're like, actually, I'm out, you know, <laughs> like, you're <Yeah>. like, actually, <laughs> I'm over this. And that's it. So, um, yeah, it was a, 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 a series of those, yeah. those moments. And, I and find, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I find one big red flag that makes me th- like worried for someone when I hear them talking about the relationship now mm-hmm. is if somebody says, you know, we love hard and we fight hard. Oh no. Get out. That, yeah. I'm like, uh Oh, like someone needs to check on her, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. no, you shouldn't have to fight hard. Like, yeah, every relationship has fights, but if you're telling yourself like, yes, these fights are happening because we love each other so much. It's like, no, 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 no. That does not have to be the way it is. 
No, exactly. Yeah, it does. It does not. And it's it's so true. And it's like you're cheapening love and romantic love by using that as an excuse for why you fight. So like, don't blame love for why you're fighting so violently. Like, you know, it's like, yeah. but but that's what it is. And it's oh, man, it's like dating now and trying to date like as a survivor with like all the baggage in the world. It's. I'm really learning that like boring relationships are the most healthy and by you yes. boring very loosely, like even like in a healthy relationship, like you wouldn't say about your boyfriend, like we really love hard. Like you would just love each other. <laughs> yeah, like, you'd be like, no, we're just healthy and normal. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're healthy and normal. And like we order takeout and when we fight, nobody really raises their voice and it's just like, whatever. Or like, you know, we do. And then we get over it. Um, yeah. Love hard, fight hard. It's this like, no, 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 that's not, that's not sustainable. And don't use true love as an excuse for why you're fighting so hard. Yeah. That doesn't add up. Yeah. I used to tell myself that I was like, yes, this is what a real relationship was is like. And then the other one that always kills me is when people are like, oh yeah, I really like this person. Cause they call me on my bullshit. you know you're like oh you mean they name call you and put you down cool okay yeah and they tell you you're like a lazy selfish piece of crap because you like forgot to lock the door once yeah like oh yeah totally or you like um messed up their their fast food order so they like throw their burger straight in your face and tell you that you don't pay attention to details and like you know (laughs) yeah like it's it's like you really it's so true when you hear it and it's like it's I I hate to like pigeonhole it into romantic love but like you'd never speak about this in like uh family love or platonic love like you would never have a friend and you're like I just we we love hard and fight hard and like I she just constantly like you wouldn't you wouldn't right. keep that person around I, feel. I would stop you, you. Know? that's just real housewives like you don't need yes. to be friends unless there's a reality tv camera and you're getting paid for it if you love hard and fight hard with your friends <laughs> exactly yeah right right if you're loving that hard and fighting that hard make sure there's a network involved yeah um, yeah no it's it you you really learn that it's it's yeah and you equate it with this over-the-top romantic love. I used to say the same thing. I was like, but we just, like, you guys don't know. We just, like, really love each other. Like, we just really, and there's a level to it. We're just really passionate, and it's just Mm. because of, and it's like, oh, gosh, no. It's not, don't blame passion. There's just something else under the surface that's very unhealthy. So Yeah. And, yeah, and so just to get now to this book we both read by Melanie Brown, AKA scary spice. She, so there are obviously like one of the top things we mentioned in the beginning is you think that a strong person is not susceptible to abuse. And you think that, you know, maybe the more money you have or the more power you have, the harder it would be to fall prey to this. But the thing is there are so many famous women who this happens to. Yes. It's so wild. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, that's the main, the main thing that I, I took away and especially her being a Spice Girl, you know, like being a part of a girl group that their entire ethos was like girl power, feminism, girls kick ass and, you know, selling out world tours as like this pinnacle for feminism and girl power. And like, this is actually what's going on behind closed doors. I mean, I, I'm sure you felt like this in your relationship. I felt like this in my relationship too. Like, so many people around me were like, what's going on with you? Like you, you're in this situation. Yes. It's like, yeah, like Brittany, really? What's wrong with you? And like, 
first off, that's not the language. So if your friend's in something like that, maybe don't talk to them like that, number yeah. one. But, like, number two, it's, like, this happens again to, to anybody. In fact, I would think strong women are even more susceptible to it. But Right. I read something um, online that women with – and this is probably, like, me self-selecting things that flatter myself, but sure. – Sure. Yeah. It was we like, all do it. We're all guilty of it. Yeah. yeah. Women with higher IQs are more susceptible to emotional and physical abuse because part of it is, you know, you're constantly spending all this emotional and intellectual time on your relationship. And women who are perfectionists and women who are really smart are more likely to sort of start doing that. Yeah, I I completely I completely believe that. Um, and women by nature are more relational, you know, so we, mm. we thrive in a partnership and it, we pride ourselves on our partnerships. And like, you know, I think from an early age, society kind of teaches us that like the, the state and the status of our relationships is a direct reflection on who we are as a woman and a partner and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah. And it's, you can, you understand things on a much more deeper level, but it doesn't, like, I would always understand, like, I think I stayed with my ex so long because, like, I could understand 18 levels deep psychologically why he was doing this and probably not wrong right. about it, right? And I'm like, oh, he had trauma early in his life, and this is what happened then. And I know him because he processes emotions like this. And that's all fine, well, and good that I can understand it from a textbook perspective, but that also doesn't mean that what it is on the surface level is okay. Right. Like, it's like, I, okay, that's nice that you understand where it's coming from, but that doesn't mean you need to be in it, you know? And so it's, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. people who are abusive are so, so good at giving you a million reasons why they're behaving the way that they're behaving. It's just mm -hmm. like a never ending Pandora's box of reasons why they deserve to treat you like crap in that moment. Yeah. It's wild. I, I, I would like one piece of advice to people is I would say like when you're dating, like if you have someone who kind of like, and they're always going to mask it as like laying their cards out on the table. They're just an open book, like things like that. But like, I look back on not only that relationship, but the relationship prior that was mentally abusive. And it was like, these, these men told me who they were from the get go. Mm -hmm. And like at the time I romanticized it as like, oh, we're having these really honest conversations and he's telling me everything about his past. And it was like, no, bitch, he's airing his dirty laundry out. So that yeah. later on, when he becomes that person he said he's going to become, he could be like, well, I told you so. Yeah. Like, you knew what you were getting into, you know? Yeah. The craziest thing reading this book for me was just how much of what he said was identical to the person that I dated. Mm. Um, so Mel B, she was married to this guy, Stephen Belafonte. His real name is, I forget what, it's something completely different. He made up yeah. the last name Belafonte. Crazily enough, he is from where I'm from. He's from Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Really? Oh, wow. Yes. So there's two really funny things about that. The first one is she says that he would put her down and tell her how stupid she was, blah, blah, blah. And then he would say, it's because I'm from Jersey and that's our sense of humor in Jersey. And the <laughs> crazy, crazy thing is... My ex who was this way to me, he was not from Jersey. He was from somewhere else and he would blame it on being from that place. Oh, wow. And, and oh I'm gosh. like, okay, and I'm from Jersey, the same exact town almost as this other abusive guy. And I somehow managed to not abuse my partners. So it's just so like they all have the same playbook no matter yeah. where they're from, no matter what. They're like, oh, it's this 
that's just the sense of humor of where I'm from. And it's like, no, that's not a reason why you get to call your partner names. Yeah, no, no, not at all. And it's never, you know, there's no, there's no responsibility. And it's like, yeah, it's just, it's having the excuse like teed up and just ready to go for when they inevitably fuck up, abuse, like whatever the case is, they've already got this narrative in place that like, you know, yes. it's, even, it's even gone as far as like, it's made me question like things that my ex said he went through that for the longest time I was like, okay, right. yeah, there's, you know, and I hate saying that, especially someone who is a survivor and will believe all survivors and victims forever. But it's also like, I look at that relationship and after a while I was like, man, he lies about everything. How do you know he's not lying about this? Right. So that's the other thing about her husband being from Point Pleasant. There was one line in the book. I had to put it on my Instagram because I was dying laughing. She says he was from Pulaski Road, the roughest street in Point Pleasant. So (laughs) I'm like, you know, he told her that. It's so funny like Point Pleasant has zero rough streets it's, I know I that's sweet Tom's River yeah oh like, yeah, yeah I knew you had a jersey I knew you had a jersey vibe to you yes 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 I lived in Lenhurst for three years and my family scattered all over Jersey and like a lot of them are in South Jersey I was like Point Pleasant has rough streets like right. just now I was like there what? are no rough streets in Point Pleasant it's like no. there's like waterfront homes in Point Pleasant that street that he's talking about is in a school zone it's literally where they park <laughs> Yeah. So like didn't, that's just didn't do his research. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. just brainwashed her into thinking like, ooh, I'm from this like rough and tumble like mob town. I'm this like Italian like wise guy. And it's like, no, you're not. You're from the friggin' suburbs, like this like cute town. It's just so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And I also not to not to switch gears, but I really did I got the audiobook for that. Um and I mm. thought it was really, really well done. And something else that really stuck out to me too was how like uh it seems like that relationship that she was in caused so much destruction like drug use and like other areas of her life um and then that's like it's just such a bigger theme about how like you have no control in the relationship and how like then before you know it you have no control over your own life and choices like I don't know I found myself in all of those toxic relationships like doing things and making poor decisions and like I don't I really related when she was like really battling a serious drug problem and like other things in her life and career were falling apart and like I wasn't I didn't have a drug problem but like um women don't I don't feel like women don't uh, react well when they don't feel when they feel like that they have no control in a situation right and I think that's at least what male abusers try to do. And if they can remove control in the relationship, it's like a slow drip. All of a sudden there's no control anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I like slowly realize because you always, you know, all the warning signs from like Cosmo Girl magazine when we were little and everything. Mm -hmm. Like if this happens to you, like watch out, you might be in an abusive relationship. And it, it never really looks exactly that way while you're in it. So like one thing that made me realize something wasn't right was that one day I thought for a minute and I was like, Oh my God, I haven't hung out with my friends in like three months. Like, yep. Where are my friends? And it wasn't that I wasn't like, I was still texting them and everything, but like, we weren't going out. We just were not going out because like he controlled sort of the money. Like I trusted him to control money because I'm such a dumbass with it. So yes, like, if, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so if he was like, Oh, we can't ever go out because it's too expensive. I was like, yeah, I mean, we live in New York. It's too expensive. Like, yeah. So yeah it's just like that kind of stuff creeps in like the loss of control. It's just like one day you're like, Oh, Whoa, this is so weird. Like I haven't been doing what I like to do in forever. Yeah. I, um, I 
failed a level of UCB, which I know is like not a, a life changing thing. Like, you know, I've since made it up and moved on from that or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. that was a huge wake up call for me that like, yeah, because it know, wasn't like you probably No, to skip improv never like I would go to improv like sick as a dog because it was the only three hours of my week that I looked forward to at the time I was a publicist and I was putting comedy on the back burner and I was really only doing mm-hmm. it leisurely. Um, I was kind of miserable because of it. Um, but then like, by the end of that relationship, like I was like, I have not performed at all whatsoever in fact I have failed the level of UCB yeah I'm you know I'm not getting any stage time and like that was a that was a wake-up call too you know and it's it's starting to see and and I do believe that that's what they want they see that the relationship is all consuming and when the relationship is all consuming it literally doesn't leave any emotional currency or energy for anything else and then you're really trapped then you're really like well, I'm kind of fired from my job and I'm also not doing any comedy and he's got complete control over my finances. Plus I'm broke and my friends are kind of over it. And that's when it's really dangerous when people feel yeah. like they don't have a way out. Like, you know, yeah. like they have nothing to turn to, nothing to distract themselves. Yeah. How did your, one thing that really bugged me is a lot of the people in my life either would like when we broke up either didn't really, I could tell they didn't really believe me about how bad it was or they would say, oh, yeah, I never liked him. And I was like, oh, my God, you could have told me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could have said something at any point. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. It's I will say it will. It's not every I, I feel I'm going to sound really wishy washy when I say this, but I think I see both both sides of this. So I have yeah. the same thing. One side of it that I see is that this relationship absolutely definitely brought true people to the forefront and weeded out people who I don't necessarily need in my life either. Um, it'll really test unconditional support, unconditional love. Cause it's, it's the same thing. Like when you go through any bad breakup, especially this one just heightened, like, you know, it'll really show you like who's there for you, who goes to bat with you and who is truly there through thick and thin. I lost friends through this relationship. Um, wow. Permanently. People- Yeah, permanently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of which good riddance, you know, one was one of my best friends, like one from, from early college, we lived together, best, best, best friends, you know, going to be a bridesmaid in my wedding someday level loyalty. Um, and at the first sign of abuse, I obviously chose to go back with him because this is just, it's cyclical and this is what victims do. And she was very, you're out of your mind. You're making poor decisions for yourself. I want no part of you in your life and was out. And to me, that was telling, you know, because I was like, well, I get it. And I get, you don't want to spill over and you've got your own shit. And this is a pretty big relationship to even be associated with. But to me, I was like, well, thanks to that relationship, I saw someone who probably didn't really have my back anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is, the first half of that statement is true. Like, you're making poor decisions and it's upsetting me, but you don't have to ghost someone because of that. Like, right. Yeah. It's it's that conclusion is true, but the decision she made based off of it is not so great. Yeah, totally. Um, the other side of it is just like you as a victim don't have a playbook for how to deal with it and get out of it. The people in your life don't have a playbook for how to support you through it either. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, so it's like, you don't want to, it's not about cutting people slack per se, but like nobody really knows what to do. They're like, do I lean in and support her more? Do I back away? Oh, well, 
I want to really be honest with her, but it looks like he and him, they're, they're going through a honeymoon period. So is now the time for me to tell her I don't like him? Probably not, you know, right. it's like, you know, so it's, um, I had people who didn't believe I left and that was fucking annoying. Like a oh, year man. later they were like, Oh, and you're, you're not talking to him. Right. Like you're still not. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like I have a restraining order in place. Like, well, part of this is believing that I did leave and take care of myself. Ultimately. Yeah. So it's, it's such a messy, messy, messy issue. Yeah. It is. On so many it levels. Is. I yeah. would say like, I had some of my friends who would just, they would say if I was like, yeah, you know, like after this last three day long fight where he because it was like you're saying, like failing UCB, like not I wasn't doing stand up for like months at a time. It just was not even a thought in my mind, which is horrific. And I was mm-hmm. at work. If I got in a fight with this guy, I would be sitting at my desk fighting with him all day long, trying to yeah. convince that I wasn't this like terrible piece of crap and apologizing over and over and over again. And like, just trying so hard to get him to stop being mad at me. And I was like, Oh my God, this is the type of, yeah. Like that's the control that they talk about in like these teen magazine articles. But the good thing that my friends would do would be when they would, they would just say, you know, are you sure you want to do that? Because what he did was really bad. And just sort of not saying, look, you're being a complete moron, which I was, but Mm -hmm. saying, are you sure? And sort of making it clear indirectly that they hated his guts. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That, yeah. But that they yeah. were going to stay with me as my friends throughout, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's something too, that we, you know, we try to like inject into violently funny into the podcast as well as like uh, guiding, guiding people who are on the outskirts of an abusive relationship and watching a friend or a loved one go through it. Like, you know, you, you can have a positive impact in getting them out of it, but it's all in how you nuance it and how you speak to them, you know, yes. because the, the last thing you want to do is kick a dead horse for lack of a better term. Like the last thing you want to do is, is, you know, put this person even more on the defense because they are going to run back to their abuser. Cause you yeah. know, they're, you know, and at some point it's like, what's a psychological term? It's like, it's, uh, Stockholm. Yeah. Well, it's Stockholm syndrome for sure. You're like literally in love with someone who's probably going to kill you like truly. And like, it's also too like selective theory as well. Like you want it, you want it to work so badly with this person and you can't believe they're abusing you because on some level, some parts of this relationship are good. So you're, you're keeping yourself in it by being like, no, no, no. He's the only one who's there for me. And we're really, really in love. And we love hard and fight hard. But it's it's real. It's this. It's that. And then when a friend ostracizes you, all it does is kind of give you more evidence that he's the only person you need and want. Yeah. Right? Because you're like, oh, well, fuck you. Okay, who are you going to run back to? Run right back to your boyfriend. He's you know, the one because- who's here with me day after day. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, you're just kind of, you're ending up, you're, you're pushing your friends closer to their abusers because if they don't feel comfortable and safe with you, they're going to rationalize it as like, yep, see, the only one I have is him. Yeah. yeah. The, the only one who will put up with my bullshit is him. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure Mel B felt that way. I thought it was awful how he, and just so textbook, the way that he swooped in when she was at the lowest point in her life. Mm-hmm. So for the listeners who don't know, Mel B, first she was married to some other guy who was awful and he, but like benignly awful, you know, he just like spent all her money and wasn't that nice to her. But he, I don't know if he, he wasn't as bad as this guy. And she had one kid with him. Then she goes a few years later and starts dating Eddie Murphy. And she says they were like soulmates, but he 
wouldn't leave his like compound where he lived with all of his servants and having all of his friends drop by. She got pregnant with his kid and she said, I just need a minute to get out of your little like Eddie land that you run. And she left. And then he basically cut her off and told never talked to her again. Yeah. Yeah. Never talked to her again. And basically told the media that he didn't know, he didn't believe the kid was his. So that, yeah, I forgot that part. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember when that happened? Yeah, that was wild. That yeah. was so nasty of him. That was terrible. So yeah. after this, like a month or two after this, she's got a newborn. The dad won't speak to her. Everyone's making fun of her, saying that she's trying to get a meal ticket from Eddie Murphy when she actually did have his kid. And this is when this scumbag, Stephen Belafonte, swoops in. Yeah. Of course, when she's at her lowest and she's the most susceptible. It's so, it's so, so textbook, you know, and it's, and especially when I, I think women are very transparent when it comes to their uh, flaws and their vulnerabilities. And I think it's what makes us so wonderful and, and so strong in the long run, but also too, it's like, it it kind of. Oh, you're so uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of like tee it up. For, for somebody. And, and at that point, it's like, I don't even think she was actively doing it. But yeah, it is very textbook. It's very in line with like, of course, she's she's at a low point. So now would be a good time for somebody to come in and just totally yeah take, take control. Yeah. And it was so clear that she was at a low point. It was like, so obvious to anyone, even if you didn't know her, you probably could have just Googled her name and been like, Ooh, this is somebody who is definitely susceptible. Yeah, she's going through it and susceptible to predators which is what he was because also he would be you know going around town trying to become friends with famous people all the time oh so gross but I also loved how she knew that the Spice Girls didn't like him oh yeah she intrinsically was like they they are not about it yeah yeah Yeah. and how he was always trying to get close to David Beckham and like she could she was so embarrassed by it because like (laughs) David Beckham clearly wanted nothing to do with him like yeah this like loser from Jersey Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Giving Ocean County a bad name worldwide. (laughs) True. (laughs) Truly. And two people from Jersey were like, um, he's not from our Jersey. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, my I mean, my ex was was the the same way. And I think there were a lot of ways in which he tried to leech off of my life too. I mean, he was in his forties and he had no place to live when we first met. And why I didn't take this as a red flag, I don't know, but you know. Early on oh, in the music man. industry, he was like, oh, wow, you know so many people and you've done so much. And I'm like, yeah. Now I see. I'm like, yeah, he sees dollar signs in his eyes. He sees oh, like yeah. a fresh start on the tail on the tail end of my career. And, yeah, that was a big thing in Mel's book, too, is like that's even more volatile when you're like with someone who's abusive and you work together. Now it's so intertwined. It can take it can take a long, long time for you to like untangle your own life and right. like break free. Yeah. He just like decide he like appointed himself as her manager. Yeah. It's so insane. And he really had no job. He was a pretend movie producer, right? He had like one credit or something. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So, um good for her though for getting out. And yeah. it's a great book. It really is a great book. And she's very, very I love it's brutal it's called Brutally Honest and she is very brutally honest. And I feel like she that's really a a weapon for all, all victims, emotional, mental, physical abuse, like the talking about it is so necessary. It really, 
And everyone needs to listen because it just helps you to know when your friends are going through it too. And one of my favorite things, because this topic just comes up a lot on this podcast about how much really big celebrities love to bash the press and the media. And she Mm -hmm. said she was thankful for how ruthless the British tabloids are because she knew barely anything about this guy and they started digging up dirt on him. And she was like, Ooh, you know, she was still in the cycle of abuse for years after that, but at least she had a little bit of background from them like muckraking on this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big thing too. Like that's a, that's another huge theme is like being able to fact check an abuser's narrative. Like I know Mm -hmm. I didn't really have that with my last two relationships too, which were the most impactful and also very negative and intense and, and abusive you know, in both scenarios, these guys were like total outliers in my life. And as opposed to coming from a friend group or coming from like a a close knit work environment, Mm -hmm. I just had to go off of what they said was their life, you know? And it was like the only thing, again, it's, it's toxic in its own right and gossipy and catty, but the music industry with both of those relationships, actually, um, don't shit where you eat, guys. That's that's another <laughs> lesson. Don't um, never a good, never a good thing. But um, being in that industry and having it be smaller than what people think, like that industry outed both of those relationships and both of those guys for me because as time that's went great. on. Yeah, as time went on, like people would want to work with me as a publicist. And when we try to offer ourselves as a manager and publicist duo, they'd be like, I will hire you. I won't work with him. And then after a while, I was like, huh, this is an interesting pattern. Yeah, this is an interesting pattern. Or like when the lead singer of the band I was a publicist for, like his band lineup kept changing every six months. And I'm like, wow, you can't retain a relationship with anyone. And all these people hate you and are slandering you in your local market. And you can't even get someone to play bass in your band because they all fucking hate you and like it's like things started coming out I was like cool I'm kind of grateful for this industry it's like a nice checks and balances for this like yeah yeah that is so true fact checking is really good and that is one thing where I will say um if you are in an abusive or even if it's just an emotionally abusive relationship whatever and you're struggling to get out this is going to be controversial controversial advice but I would advise you to go through the person's phone if you feel called to do so. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> because for yeah. me, it really it really helped me to learn some things about the person that made alarm bells go off in my head that just made me really realize that I was in danger, you know. Yeah. Because I yeah. learned more about their past relationships and and just different things like that. And I learned the extent to which this person, I caught them cheating on me like in front of my face. And they obviously convinced me to stay with them for another few months after that. And that it was a one-off thing and blah, blah, blah. I learned that it was not a one-off thing. And I learned just how – I learned that this person was capable of like even worse things than what I had been through so far. Mm-hmm. So if I had never done that, you know – I would, I wouldn't have known that I probably would have stayed longer. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, um, I know the, the easy way to write it off is to say like, well, you really shouldn't go. And it's an invasion of privacy, but what people have to see when you're put in these very unnatural, unsafe relationships and environments is that it's not the usual, like I'm snooping through my boyfriend's phone to find the latest tea. Like, it's like, I'm literally trying to hold together my mental sanity. Like, I know this person's lying to me. I know something isn't adding up. I cannot get a straight answer out of them. My ex would do that too. Like, 
talk about emotionally abusive and mentally abusive. He would like tell me something that he said was the truth. And then an hour later when we were still fighting, he'd be like, I didn't mean that. Yeah. And then I'd be like, wait a like what you know yeah yeah the thing is they construct an alternate reality that they know they are so good at getting you to believe and Mm -hmm. sometimes you need your own visual proof like in hamlet when he has that play with i don't know why this is what i always think of but (laughs) he has he needs visual proof that is that his uncle murdered his dad or whatever and so he you know just be like hamlet but with going through someone's phone and Also, every other guy I've dated besides this guy was, like, a giant sweetie. And, like, they – I wouldn't have – I went – well, I went through, like, one of other of their phones. And that one was – that one was uncalled for, and I regret it. It was not cool. But, like, for the most part, yeah. Like, if you're dating, like, a sweetie guy who's just nice, you don't need to do that. But if you're Mm -hmm. in – if you're in that dire of a situation where you're questioning your own reality, you know, sometimes you got to – you got to – you got to snoop. Yeah, it's like a – yeah, it's a teeny tiny wrongdoing, um, yeah. but for a greater, a greater purpose. Yeah, I was, it wasn't even, because um, it was at the point that I was so convinced that he was cheating that even when I uncovered that he was through his phone, there, I don't even know if I was upset as much as I was mentally relieved. I was actually yes. like relieved to see that he was cheating on me and to see dating apps and texts with other girls and nudes from other girls and like all these other things. Because it's like, at that point, it wasn't about, it was far, I knew he was cheating. I'd already come to accept that times 10. At that point, it was like, oh, you're not crazy. He's making you think you're crazy. But the other night, I knew that's who he was texting. He was glued to his phone. And then when I called it out, he said, I'm insane. But now the timestamps are at, it's really also at like, you know, you have a backup career now because you could basically be a detective. I really could. Like, I could be yeah. like a <laughs> private investigator. Like, like whenever my friends are like, I don't know if he's, I'm like, I've got you, girl. I've got a whole tool belt. Like we yeah. will, we will get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. It's it is like if you anyone who is listening, if you ever think you are in a relationship that might be going into like abusive territory or that you're you are trapped in a cycle, all you have to do is ask a friend or acquaintance who has been through it, and they will be able to figure help you figure it out. I feel like. Yeah. No. Totally. I am a friend of mine now. She just got out of an abusive relationship and she, she admitted it after getting out of the relationship that he was physically abusive, which I had suspected. But again, you want to tiptoe around those things because you don't want to call someone out when they haven't come to terms with it yet. So on and so forth. But I had met her, she's a Canadian and I had met her because we were at a show and she's gorgeous, super funny. And I had seen her standing outside, didn't know her, but standing outside hysterically crying like all her body language showed was like flustered like like her hair was a mess like she just looked like she was like going through it and she had her phone in her hand and I just like heard her like and like throw the phone down and like didn't know her had no context and just off of like an initial impression I was like she's dating an abuser yeah that's a boyfriend she's on the phone with that is not a friend that's not an employee that's not a mom that's a boyfriend and I was like and that's an abusive relationship like if she is unraveling she's not inside performing where she should be her focus is completely taken away from her career she's at her wits end you can tell her head spinning in circles she literally looks like she's like about to have a mental breakdown sure enough now we're friends and we talk about it and she's like oh yeah he was driving me crazy for hours on end and like so many forms of abuse in the relationship. And then two months after she got out of it, she was like, no, he definitely hit me. 
And, wow. and it's like something I, it's so true. Like how you said earlier in the interview, like once you go through it, you definitely have a sensor for it. Like you, you can't unsee it now. Like, it's, yeah. 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 That is crazy. I'm glad you guys are friends now though. Yeah, no. And we, you know, we talk about it all the time and, you know, per usual with abusive relationships, he's still trying to find a way to crawl back into her life. And, you know, it's, it's like a, it's a support system. It's like an an underground network of sorts. Like if you know people who have also gone through it, you're like immediately bonded to them. Which is why I think you and I bonded immediately too. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And then they just, you do still, I'm still scared of this person. I don't know about you with yours, but it's just, it's like a lifelong, I feel constantly like this person could come back at any moment and just completely rip my like self-esteem to shreds. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I, um, I feel more, um, capable in my abilities to trust myself, which is nice, which I'm sure you do too. Yeah. But I, I just had my, my restraining order expired and the courts won't renew it. And I just, I've been fighting with them and. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm just trying to like keep the peace. And the thing is the courts don't take mental and emotional abuse into account whatsoever. So they look at it very black and white. Like, has he hurt you? And I'm like, well, no, because he's been operating under an order of protection for two years. And they're just like, well, then in our eyes, he hasn't done anything wrong. Oh my and God. Like, what? Like, and it's a whole, they just don't take into the, like uh, the anxiety of knowing that my ex can be in New York at any moment and I can just run into him or the anxiety that he could just start berating me through text all of a sudden yeah. or threatening to kill me again or reaching out and, and showing up at one of my comedy shows and embarrassing me or, you know, like all these yeah. things, you know, the, the system needs well, I mean, our entire country is is archaic and things need to change and be overturned. But like the judicial system is is just so painfully. It's so bad. And it's, it's so, so bad. Yeah. It's yeah. so weighted against women who are being mm-hmm. abused. It's just like, look at every time a woman gets murdered half the time, more than half the time. It's somebody who already abused her in the past. You oh, know? Absolutely. And there's just, we're just like, oh, guess that happens. That's just a fact of life when there are so many things we could do to avoid that and keep that from happening. Yeah, that's so true. That's such an important statistic. And it's 100% accurate that it's like, these are not one-off murders. It's not a one-night stand. And he like, well, I mean, sometimes it is, but that's not the majority. You know, it's not a one-night stand and he just like kills her and then leaves the hotel room. Like, no, like these are the news stories you see are like, the shocking um, boyfriend, ones. Boyfriend, yeah. girlfriend who lived together and then one day he snaps or one day he comes back because he has a key and boom, he's in the apartment. And like, yeah, it's um, they just don't. It's too complicated of an issue. It is defined by gray area and the court system just doesn't want to do the necessary work to like. Yeah. consider all the sides they and just, yeah. yeah and even if you do get like the cops involved like for example one time some friends and I were walking in New York and we saw a guy uh punch his girlfriend in the face and yeah. I mean it's not even the only that's not even the first time I've seen that happen in, in New either. York and yeah. so one of my friends wanted to call the cops and I personally this was after I had already been through again I was never physically abused but after I had already been through an abusive situation emotionally. And I just was like, you know, if we call the cops, this guy is just going to go home and beat her harder later on, you know, but my friends were insistent that we call the cops and the cops came and they, they were like, well, this happens three times a week. Like 
What do you want us to do? And it's Something. like, we have <laughs> literally no framework for dealing with getting women out of abusive situations because yeah, like he, they could take him to jail for assault, but that doesn't mean that the relationship is going to end. That doesn't mean he's never going to do it again. It just means maybe next time he'll do it behind closed doors. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's not, and the system it's, it really does put it entirely on women who are already victims and already not in the most, uh, the, the strongest state of their life. And it puts it entirely on you. We're like, Hey, you think you're in danger. You think you need to leave, get up and leave. And it really yeah. falls completely on you to like literally flee, like buy a plane ticket, leave him, run to a courthouse, beg for a restraining order, block his number, uproot your whole life. Yeah. It's, and I've seen that so many times in New York too. And, you know, I remember seeing it recently same reaction where the girl's hysterically crying and we finally get like the drunk abusive boyfriend out of the way in the middle of the city. And I'm like, we need to call the cops. I think this needs to be documented. Like we're all here. We're all mm-hmm. witnesses. And she's hysterical. Like, please don't. And I know that that's like, I'm probably going to go back with him. I don't really have any intent of leaving, but I know if I document this, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get hit. Like I'm going to, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay in this and it's going to be bad. So please, this is just how he is. Let it be. Yeah. You know? um, and then and we, yeah. And, yeah. We were often like situation. get her a car home and she's like, no. And we're like, I'm like, the reality is she's going to go home with them. And it's, yeah. it's just, there's nothing, you know, there's only so much you can do. There's yeah. just, yeah, it's so, and when we, when we did that and they did call the cops, which I, again, was not supportive of, the cops didn't even write up a report. Of course. They showed up, saw who it was, and they were like, oh, these people, no, we don't care. Yep, yep, just un, so many of these moments go undocumented, and again, what the system doesn't understand is that it builds and it builds and it builds. Like, that, that one instance you witnessed is, is only going to get worse, is only going to become a pattern, and unfortunately, Once that kind of abuse, physical abuse specifically, is in a relationship, it doesn't leave. There is no, like, he's going to wake up tomorrow and be like, okay, never mind. I'll never do that ever again. Like, if he's capable of doing it once, that's who he is. That is his nature, you know? So that's, yeah, it's, that's the danger is letting it go undocumented, not talked about, not, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So as we start to wrap up, I just want to read out a list of famous women, since this is a celebrity focused sort of podcast who have dealt with domestic abuse because it's just there's so many. Yeah. So there's Rihanna, Amber Heard, Reese Witherspoon, Charlize Theron, Mariah Carey, Halle Berry, Madonna, Tina Turner, Pamela Anderson. And that's just like I there's so many more besides that. Mm -hmm. So it's so crazy. That's insane. Yeah. And these are all powerful, gorgeous, successful women who you would never you would never expect would be put in that demoralizing of of a situation. Um, But and I'm sure, too, it's like I wonder if like as a celebrity, if they have mixed feelings about this, because like I know Wendy Williams is a good example, too. Like I know she has like mixed feelings about openly admitting her abuse where like the media reports on it and she doesn't necessarily negate it, but also it's not something she'd come forward and talk about too. Oh, um, right. With her current husband. Yeah. I don't know if they're still together anymore. I think she may finally have, yeah. have, have left, but you know, and that's again, cause then it's as a woman, it's like, well, if I come forward and talk about this then this is immediately attached to my name and there's no shame in not wanting to be an open DV advocate, that's fine. Like, yeah. you know, 
I even think Rihanna doesn't even really, didn't Rihanna and Chris Brown rekindle too at one yeah. point? Yeah. Like a few months after. Yeah. That's the realest shit though. Like that's like the realest example. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what ends up happening. I can't stand that he's still famous. Every time I see something about him on my timeline or whatever, I'm just like, get this man out of here. It's so, it makes me so mad. And obviously I don't hold anything against her for going back with him because that's not the problem. The problem is him. And the fact that now he has like kids and he's like still dating like the most gorgeous women in the world. Yeah. Oh man. It makes me, it makes my blood boil. Yeah. Because it's, it's, these are people that need to be stripped of all their luxuries and privilege. And it's, it's disgusting. And yeah, I was actually just, just last night, I was watching Surviving R. Kelly. I finally like started watching it. And like that, like episode one of that documentary is like a doozy. Like I had to like get up and walk out of the room because this man has literally his entire career has been a predator. And it's sexual and it's domestic violence and it's using domestic violence to ultimately get what he wants sexually out of a woman. And just all of it is parasitic and terrible. And again, you know, people interspersed in the interviews are like his songs, iconic, defined a generation. And I'm like, y'all, we need to separate like. Also, they weren't that good. That a a he's not Michael Jackson. Like, (laughs) hell no. Not listening to Michael Jackson's music is an actual bummer, but like I can live without remix to ignition. So can I, I can leave with that. I, I, I believe I can fly. Like I'm okay. Yeah. If I never watch space jam ever again, I'll be fine. <laughs> um, but it's like, it's that greater point of like, if men are good at their job, we forgive everything. And maybe it's that like breadwinner mentality. Like if he's like successful and rich and like good at his job, it's why like corrupt CEOs stay in power. And like, you know, I feel like I just don't feel like women would be given the same pardon. I don't know. You know, it's definitely it's, not. Oh, God, but his songs are so good. I'm like, but he's a demon. <laughs> yeah. Like, Someone else can record covers of his songs. Like, who cares? Also, right. you know, listen to his songs. I don't care. Just like I don't want to let him make any new ones. I don't think we should be continuing to prop him up. I feel yeah. like. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It drives me nuts. And like with Johnny Depp, I have written down here Amber Heard and Johnny Depp's statement because I guess when I was doing some research for this, it struck me. Remember how he, when in their divorce, she accused him of being physically and emotionally abusive and having a drinking problem and everything. Mm-hmm. And she had a lot of documentation. She had photos and everything. But then after their settlement, their, I would love to get your thoughts on this. Their mm-hmm. statement was... Our relationship was intensely passionate and at times volatile, but always bound by love. Neither party has made false accusations for financial gain. There was never any intent of physical or emotional harm. So she just like backpedaled on all the accusations, basically. Basically. And they did the whole we're passionate thing. Yeah. And that's that's the problem. Yeah. Again, it's blaming. It's it's two completely separate things. And it's it's putting blame on abuse or blaming abuse uh, for passion and love, which is just literal absolute horseshit. And it truly sounds to me like she was paid off or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like that's it sounds to me like, listen, if we both want to continue having careers in Hollywood, I think we need to chalk this up as a passionate marriage that just didn't go well and like go our separate ways. And again, it's like because it is a harder fight and like he is the bigger celebrity presence than she is too. So I'm sure that there was some aspect of like maybe I should just drop this. You know, yeah. like maybe I should just let this go. But ugh, I don't 
Well, the really weird thing about their settlement, if I remember correctly, is that she said that she was donating all of it to domestic violence charities, all the money that she got. So I'm like, what was the incentive for her to really put that statement out? It's just so wild to me. I feel like that story was so public and it was so huge. And then there was just no real resolution and no answers to any of the questions. Yeah. Did she, I mean, if she definitely donated the money to domestic violence, that definitely, I think it's just like another example of like systematic and societal restraint on women where like, that's the very polished PR statement that they released about the marriage. But then what she does with her settlement money is her business. And like, if she's, if she's donating the money, that's her, that's probably her way of being like, This is is what actually happened. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's wrap up on a positive note. Yeah. Did you not that this whole conversation hasn't been very constructive and positive because it has. It's great. But (laughs) is there was there any moment in the book that was your favorite, like scary spice diva moment or even outside the book, just in her regular life? I think. I don't know. It it was probably a collective just listening to the book. Um, And I think it was, I really did honestly like, like the foreword of the book and about how like she basically tells her fans and the readers, like, you know, there's going to be a lot of things here that are going to be hard for you to stomach. And I know what you hear is going to be incongruent with who you've seen on TV and in concerts. Um, And I don't know, for me, that's like, I think every woman or every victim knows that when they come forward with something like this, it's going to alter their public persona. There's going to be people who can't get behind it, people who can't stomach it. Um, so I kind of felt like she carried that tone throughout the the entire book. And I also think it's cool, too, that she found, at least because, I, like I said, I did the audiobook. So mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, too, that she found somebody else who really connected with her story and, like, specifically went through the same thing to record the book with her. Um, so I don't know. I think it was the the collective thing. And for me, it was like, it didn't change that vision of scary spice that I've always had as being like feisty and powerful and strong and in your face. Um, right. If anything, the entire book kind of amplified that for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I love her. I think, yeah, it was brutally honest just, just from the start and how she knew like, yeah, this is going to change how some people think of me, but here we go. You know, yeah. So. Yeah, it really made me like her so much more. Not that I didn't already like her, but it just humanized her even more. And it also just made me realize how real she is. Like she did not put any sort of varnish on any single thing. And she seemed like even out of all the Spice Girls, like she's the one who would be the most like, I don't really give a shit if you know who I really am kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And saying like how she needed like lines of cocaine just to get through the day and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I think that was like a wildly like potent statement and stuff about how like it's not something she's proud of and how this even was how it was like as a parent like just because she was a parent and a celebrity it didn't necessarily mean that like she was always acting in accordance with what society would want her to do in those roles and like yeah because that's real you know like we spend all of our lives trying to be like a good person and roles to other people but also ultimately who we are on our own too yeah. um but I don't, I don't know. She's, um, she's always been unhinged to me in a really good way. And I think this just kind of like the entire book just kind of like supported that in a way. Like, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is just, this is the scary spice we've always kind of known. That's like mm-hmm. in your face, take it, take it or leave it. It is what it is. Um, but it's, it's pretty brutally honest. Also, she never really talked poorly of her partner. 
Really? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like she just told it for what it was. And she very much so used, I feel, and I went through and I thought language. Like she put it all on her, which is just a classy move. Yeah, you're right. And she did a really great thing of like the first rule of writing is show, don't tell. And she just showed you what a monster he was without telling you and without saying it flat out. Yeah, she didn't need to say like he was an abusive piece of shit. She was just like, so one day, um, (laughs) let me tell you a story about this. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but I never felt like she put her partner down. And that's actually what I think the most impressive thing is. I thought you made those conclusions on your own very quickly. Yeah. You were like, oh, he's a monster. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, thank you so much, Brittany. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad we got to catch up. And, and oh my talk. God, me too. Yes. Do you have, have anything? Com- I want do you have anything else? You that's you wanna... not about our abuse and heavy topics. Sorry. Oh, I know. <laughs> Every time Molly and I talk, we're like unpacking female issues and abuse and like. <laughs> someday. Someday we'll get there. Someday. Yes. <laughs> Um, do you have anything else you want to promote besides Violently Funny, your podcast, which everyone should listen to? Thank you. Yeah, I am. Um, well, for Violently Funny, we if you live in the New York City area, we are doing a live recording to kick off season two on Friday, Is it fr- Friday January 31st, 7 p.m. at an awesome venue called Caveat. Um, so definitely buy tickets to that. A portion of the proceeds will be going to Safe Horizon New York, a domestic violence shelter and organization. Um, and outside of that, yeah, I perform all the time in New York and oftentimes across the country, too. So I don't know. Follow me on social media. I'm, I'm pretty unhinged on there myself. So, if you know, it's oh, um, yeah, I love your if, social media. You put you. up a picture yesterday because you're just so beautiful and young looking. I saw this picture. It was either yesterday or the day before. I literally thought it was a baby picture of you, uh-huh. but it was just you now. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I oh, was like, holy Molly. crap. What's uh, your skincare secret? Oh, <laughs> lots of wine. Pinot Grigio. I just rub it on my face. Oh, my um, God. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, violently funny is the main thing now. And um, yeah, I'm 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 a, I'm an open book on social media. I'll tell you that. So I'm either talking about DV or I'm doing something ridiculous. So yeah, amazing. Everyone needs to go check out the show. That will be so good. Thank the, you. Yay. The live recording. That's awesome. Thank you. Yay. Some people think diva's a bitch. Who's a diva to you? Would you say are you one? Oh. I never said that. Diva behavior. Diva Behavior, the podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.